0: Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Mamea Norman. Mamea is a summer associate in Foley's Milwaukee office with a focus on intellectual property. In our discussion, Mamea reflects on growing up in Accra, Ghana, earning her bachelor's of science at Hampton University, and her PhD from Carnegie Mellon University, all before attending Indiana University Mar School of Law. We recorded this conversation in Mamea's last week as a summer associate, so I get her to walk us through her life, which is a very interesting life, because as you'll soon hear, Mamea Worked for about a decade before attending law school and reflecting on her experience as a summer associate. During the conversation, I tell her that I feel like it was both one of my best and worst podcast episodes because she's done so much and is such an interesting and energetic person that at times I honestly just didn't know where to go next. This episode runs a little long, but Mamea is somebody I could have talked to for three hours, seven hours. So I'm happy that I was able to do it in just over an hour. And also she gives some really good advice and insight law students on the importance of seeking help and advice as you're trying to navigate law school and truly being your authentic self. One thing I will note is despite my sound test before each podcast, I'm not a huge fan of my audio quality in this episode. It sounds fine. You can hear me, but just in case it bothers you the way it bothers me, I, I am a little bit tinny in the discussion, but no worries because it was a fabulous talk with Mamea and I hope you enjoy my conversation with someone who I should more appropriately call Dr. Mamea Norman. Mamea, welcome to the podcast. Let's start by having you give a short introduction. Okay. Um, I'm excited to be here and thank you so much
1: for having me as your guest. My name is Mamea Norman. I am a Ryzen 3L at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. I'm a summer associate at Foley in
0: in the Milwaukee office. So we were just talking about how excited we are to have this conversation to the point that we could have just kept talking. And I was like, hold on, let's start. Let's start the podcast and record it so others can hear. Uh, So we'll pick up the thread we just dropped before we started recording. But first, let's get some of your backstory. So somewhat starting at the beginning, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Right. So
1: I'm originally from Ghana, West Africa. I grew up in Ghana when I was younger and I my parents, uh, Nana Osei-Poku, and my mom, Mrs. Elizabeth Poku. I say Nana because my dad is a, is a chief, so we have to call him by that title. I am the second born of my four siblings. So it's two girls, two boys, and I'm the second born from Ghana, West Africa.
0: How old were you when you came to the U.S.? How old were you? I'd love to, and I'd also love to hear more about, about your childhood. And I, I'm sure right now the listeners are like, she just said her dad's a chief, Alexis needs to ask about that. So we'll get there too. But yeah. So how long did you live in Ghana? So I was in
1: Ghana till I was 19 and I moved to the U.S. So I was very young. And I remember um, when I was coming, there were other reasons why I came. Of course, there's always that, you know, wanting to come to the investee and things like that. But for me, it wasn't really a matter of sort of Oh, I want to come to the university. The university actually went on strike. So when I finished my high school, the university professors at that time were, you know, routing for better uh, salaries and things like that. So they went on strike. And this is a public university. So because they went on strike, by the time I finished my high school, there was a backlog of two years before you go into university. So at that time, you know, everyone who finishes high school has to do like a national service for the government. So at that time, I taught physics.
0: Again, remember, I was quite young. <laughs> and, and you're Emma? just dropping, you're dropping <laughs> in so many things that well, let's just let, let me say this, because if those listening haven't gleaned this, you've done a few things before going to law school. <laughs> so when you look, you, when you look back, I know for me, if I would have talked about being 19 when I was in law school, that would have only been, oh, I don't know six years prior or something, something like that, which is not the case for you, but we'll go on. And, I'll, and I'm also going to end up taking you back a bit to unpack certain things, but keep going.
1: No worries. No worries. So yes, I've actually, so the law school is actually my second career. So I've had a very enriching career as a, an engineer, but I kind of, I'll give you the reason why I say as an engineer, because I started off as an architecture major. So, <laughs> and again, I taught Physics for one one year, and I had professors. I had a physics professor who would guide me in the experiments in the labs because I wasn't quite familiar with the stuff in the lab. But for the most part, my students were bigger and taller than me. And I go in, then I said, "I'm here to teach. Let's
0: start." And silence. It was so empowering. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're gonna. I'm making you pause right now because I feel that I have to close the gap between I'm from Ghana, and then I'm 19 and I'm teaching physics. Okay, so reflect for me a little bit on life when you were a kid if I found you at the age of I don't know 10 11 12 what does life look like what are you into and I think there's maybe even more need to set the scene because I'm just going to guess that most people are single have not have not been to Ghana.
1: right right so Ghana is the population in Ghana is about I would say 34 about 34 million it's 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 if you compare it to the US, it's pretty small, but from a square miles footage, it's about the size of Oregon. So if you look at the of Oregon, you know, concept, you see how Ghana fits in. And yeah, I grew up in Ghana. I was considered a tomboy. You know, I did not like anything to do with Barbie. You know, I love Barbie, which is great. You know, the well, Barbie would so like. What town or what city in Ghana? I lived in Accra, Accra, Ghana, but I was born in Kumasi. So I'm part of the Ashanti clan, yeah, so growing up, I lived in Accra. My parents moved to Accra and we lived there. And I would do, I like bicycling. It was fun. My mom used to always be scared that I would hop on my bike and bike to the um, market to buy food. And she's like, just walk there. I said, no, I'm going to bike. Because
0: I want you to fall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm right. You know, things like that. I was like, no, mommy, I'm going to do it. And I used to like to play with, like, I didn't, I like sports. My parents were a little off. Like, um, in high school, I participated in track and meet, loved it. I was always like last position, you know, I I don't think. I I loved it, but I wasn't great at it. I wasn't great at it, but it was awesome because, you know, you get out of your comfort zone and try something new and I will run my heart out and I'll still either be the seventh or the eighth position, which is the last position. And I was like, yeah, I did it. After a while, I mean, I think the doctor was like, because of your small structure, you want to take your time in trying to run like these marathons (laughs) so I had to take a pause on that but how
0: how old were you when you were told maybe you should okay you should you could chill out a little bit on that I was in
1: boarding school boarding school I started boarding school perhaps at age age 11 I started boarding school at age 11 so I want to say between 11 and maybe 13 when you're developing right now I have to ask how far away was
0: boarding school from home or from your parents
1: So boarding school, I went to Achimota. Actually, let's start, let's take a step back. So boarding school, when I started, I went to an all-girls boarding school. It's called Fantaman. Girls School is in Cape Coast. So it was further away from Accra. You know, it's like going from one state to the other. So I went there and I was homesick. I started boarding school when I was 11. I was young and I was homesick. And I think just the whole environment of, trying to force myself to mature real quick, it was tough. So the first year, my parents transferred me from Cape Coast back into Accra. Accra is where it was closer to home. So it was to me, just psychologically, the fact that I was closer to home, it was easier for me to manage. And then I went from a all girl school to a mixed school. And remember, I've always said I, I'm a tomboy kind of person. So being it maybe being a girl school was just too much. <laughs> I wanted <That's> I wanted <laughs> I wanted like <laughs> the different uh
0: species, you know, human beings, boy, girl, whatever out there in my presence and that was a lo- that was nice. Well I already feel like I'm doing the worst interview or conversation with you because you're so interesting. <laughs> it's just throwing me off. But I'm gonna figure out how we get, I'm gonna we're gonna pack it all in. And I even I already told Mamea that it's tough for me because there's so much more ground to cover than I normally would with a summer associate, including we have to talk about your summer at Foley eventually. But I am curious. So I I want to we're gonna come back to boarding school, but I also I first want to ask you a little bit about your parents because you did mention that your dad is the chief. And I feel that we should just give that at least a few minutes to to say more. And I don't know if that's you know, what, what that means within your community to be a chief, how that influenced your you growing up. But just please say more about that.
1: So the chief fancy space, I would say, is recent, right? When we are growing up, he was not. But now he is. So as to the transition from then to now, is all blurred. But I know that he has, when he would, like, there are certain things a chief does not do in public. Like, they don't eat in public. Because it's a safety thing, right? So my dad would not eat in public. And sometimes I'm like, dad, you're hungry. He's like, I'm not going to eat, you know? But then he is, so within the families, he is like head of, I don't know how many families, but there's a lot where these families, when there is a death or a birth or just pretty much anything that ties to the wellness, well-being of those families, he leads that. So that's that chief Chance's space into that area as to the details i don't know because i think for me it's new one and he my dad enjoys it but for me i'm like great dad <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where i appreciate what he does it's more of Giving back yourself to your community, where you're out there, you 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 sort of the voice for the voiceless, and speaking out for people and looking out for people. It has a lot of financial backing to it too, so you have to have some bit of resources to help. You know, because if somebody comes and says, "I have the family has a new baby, and they don't have the resources," you need to be able to gather aids to help them. And, you know, you resolve issues and things like that as well.
0: So it's helpful insight and context. Cause I, I just, I had to go back. I obviously had to inquire, but I do want to now go from you in boarding school at 11 or 12 to you teaching physics at 19. And we're going to, we're going to cover you coming to the U S and all of that. When you start hitting, what's that, you know, more high school age, what is it that you thought you wanted to do. I mean, I'm guessing I, I'm guessing it's science or math related, but reflect on that period and then as you got older. So I've
1: always been a science math person. I was always curious about the whys. Why do we why is this that? Why are we doing this? And why does it matter? And I was very good at math to the point where sometimes I don't even have to all I do is I'll just think about a little bit of what it is and I'd be able to figure out the solution. I remember one of my classmates in high school, he would say when the final results came for the exams and I got an A in math. Again, in Ghana, the math is a little different from here. Well, it's the same concept, but it's just hard. It, it has some of the theories more so than the practicality of it. So for the theory aspect of it, you have to really know what you're doing. And I remember he, he you know, I would he would I always call him his bluff because he says, oh my gosh, Mamea, you got... An A because I chose to get a B, and I said you got a B because you just didn't get an A.
0: <laughs> the best part is as you're describing this, and you're like, so the math is different in Ghana. It's it, it's harder. I'm nodding along as if I completely understand what you're saying, and haven't and I haven't gone a solid 20 years since taking a math class. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm, yes, I, make, I can totally envision that. Sorry, <laughs> no, but, but I do think it's worth raising as a distinction because there, there are differences and there's frankly just differences in whether it be the quality, you know, because we, we know in the U.S. there's differences in the quality of education across our country. And of course, that's going to be the case, I think, country to country and within a given country or city to city. So it is worth mentioning. Right.
1: Yeah. So I think the theory aspect is a lot more, whereas here I would say they have a little bit of both where they give you some bit of theory and practical. They do give some practicals in Ghana, but I think it's more theory. So for theory, you have to understand the core concepts of it, right? Whereas in practicality, you can get some understanding with the practicals and leverage that into the theory. So ours is on the other
0: side. I should revise what I said also because I said quality of education, but also the philosophy behind education is what I mean. And the thing is, this is terrible me talking about this because we're going to talk a bit about your interests and work in the education space, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I'm just really messing this up. But you really enjoy math. You're good at it. You're, let's say, you're late late teenage years. What's the thought process as to what's next?
1: So... I like to draw and I also like design. One thing I always try to do is every day at work here at Foley, I would bring a different earrings to match my outfit. <laughs> That's usually what I do. Like when I go shopping, I'm looking for accessories because I think accessories is what pops, whatever you're wearing, you know, so um, I like, clothing and textiles. And when I was in my high school, Achimota, they offered, there were two hands-on uh, programs. It was clothing and textiles and food and nutrition. I was okay with food. My sister likes cooking. So I left that for her and I chose to do clothing and textiles. And actually when I did the clothing and textiles and I took my exams, I was the top student. I got an award for clothing and textiles. For my high school, it was really, really amazing. I said, you know, this is my spot. You know, they teach you how to sew, they teach you different styles, and they also teach you the theory behind sewing, like making sure that okay, if you put in darts around the tummy, it's more of What's it gonna do?
0: yeah
1: right covering things up. If you have a, you know. Again, it's they have practical aspect because we had to sew, but then they also had the theory aspects behind the sew. And the structure so I, and all of exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. So I really enjoyed that practical aspect of it. And because of that, I'm I still very inclined to um, sew in, I mean... COVID I sewed my kids mask I would sew I would design different outfits
0: I would design my kids we definitely, we're definitely like there's nothing you're unable to do is what I'm is what I'm hearing <laughs> and you're like you need to be, you want me to do some complex math around that got it oh did you need me to sew that together for you yeah I can do that too but the thing you even I think you mentioned architecture yes at some so point so I I like to
1: draw so I would never claim to be a great artist because I'm not, but I would always draw something where you can actually recognize it <laughs> as artwork. So um, because my dad noticed that I like to draw and you know, he would say, you're going to be an architect. I said, okay. And then he kept saying, you're going to be an architect, you're going to be an architect. And I was like, great, great, great. So my mindset from what my dad would say that you're going to be an architect has all, had been the fact that irrespective of whether I like design or fashion design or irrespective of whether I like math. My concept was daddy has noticed that I like architecture, so I'm going to be an architecture major. So, so he's, really, he's,
0: how- in, he's influencing that.
1: He is influencing that in a big was way. Was he an architect? Like what did he enjoy architecture? Where does that come from? My dad is an engineer at heart. He did engineering when he was in school. And I think he also wanted to do a master. He does uh, building construction and building technology right now. He would see my drawing. And then, I mean, I don't even, you know how like your parents tell you you're going to do something. You get up and say, yes, I want to do it.
0: Without even be with a twice. lawyer that's how it was. my mom was like and she raised me like a little litigator like so that's, I so I was a litigator for a while you know that that some of those seeds parents plant really do at least grow in some some way exactly they may not exactly so thing, yep but.
1: so that's why I wanted to do architecture you know I remember my dad is you're gonna apply you know when you apply to schools for architecture I was like yep and you know they'll ask what else do you want to do I was like I don't know
0: I is architecture oh but <laughs> Well and so you mentioned the nurses strike and how that impacted essentially the timing of your ability to go to college exactly. is that the Exactly.
1: It was a it was a faculty at the university right now in Ghana we have private universities and things like that have up, you know sprung up. So there's a little bit of competition where you know if you wanted to go to school and the public school universities are on strike you can f- figure out options to do. Back then it was. Everybody wanted to do go to University of Ghana for engineering or architecture. There's only a certain number of schools that offer architecture or engineering, and those are public universities. Very awesome public universities. But if the investors are on strike and there's no
0: one being able to go in there, then you just have to wait. So, and that was the plan was the University yeah. of Ghana. But hey, I can't go right now. Right. I'll teach yeah. physics
1: so <laughs> <No. laughs> no. so this is this university would have been university of science and technology which would have been like the architectural space so in ghana when you finish high school you have to do a year national service to the country everybody does it so my national service i decided to teach others would do banking or depending on wherever they you're assigned but mine was teaching and i i went into the school and they were looking for a physics teacher and
0: I said I would do it (laughs) that's amazing what grade did you teach or what you said they were high school school.
1: so I just finished high school and I was teaching students who were about to finish high school (laughs) so talk about you know straight up go in there like trial by fire So then, what? So then, what happens next? You finish that year, and then what? So after I finished um, my national service, there's actually a program within the national service because the students are assigned to d- different locations. The national service they have different programs for students, right? Let's say the summer associate has programs for summer, so they had programs for students, and one of the program was at the end of the year there was a, a beauty pageant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I remember my friends were like, "Mommy, are you beautiful? Why don't you why don't you participate in it?" And I was like, oh yeah, that's one thought I thought about, but I'm not tall enough, you know, because the whole perception of beauty is a, is a particular height, right? Because that's all. Wait, how so... tall are you? Now we have to share.
0: Right now, I, I want to say I'm five three and sh- shrinking. You, I like how you said right now, as in currently. Like, like I might have I, been a little taller back then. I might have, <laughs> but I think I'm shrinking. <laughs> I think I'm shrinking, and
1: um, that's okay because so far as I'm within a certain height range, I'm fine.
0: By the way, of all the things I thought you would say when I asked what happens next, I didn't think we'd go to beauty pageant. But so what happened with the beauty pageant?
1: So I, so, I, you know, a part of me was like, should I do it? My friends were like, mom, yeah, you can do it. You have, you have good rapport, you engage in, you have a nice audience, go for it. And I'm like, no, I'm not tall. I can't, I'm shy. And they're like, stop it. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. And I did. And I won. <laughs> I knew it. I was about to say, and I bet you won. <laughs> I won. It was like, oh my gosh. So now I'm like, okay, I have this beauty thing. You know, at that point, I was a little bit conflicted. I was like, should I go into that beauty space
0: and put my life into that stream of, you know, pageantry? Like you said, pageantry, there's definitely accessories involved. I mean, why? <laughs> Oh, I should focus
1: on my math and science. So, I mean, it was wild. But at that moment, my my dad was like, well, you know, and my mom says, you're not going to spend another year in Ghana waiting to go to uh, university because of the strike. So my mom was like, I'm going to find a school for you. And she found Hampton. So my mom says, we found a school. Hampton University is the school you're going. You're going to apply for the school. And my dad says, you're going to do architecture. I said, "Okay." Hampton
0: University in, in Virginia.
1: States. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. You're going to do architecture. I was like, okay. So, it wasn't like I went and I was searching for schools.
0: My parents said this is we where you're going. We found to school. this one. Well, and, and so for to- those who, and for those who don't know, Hampton University is an HBCU. Yep. As you mentioned at in Virginia. Right. In Hampton, Virginia. So, I just so- imagine you like pack your bags and it's like on a plane. I'm going, I don't know. <laughs> is that essentially what happens? <laughs> So, literally, so I
1: remember, you know, we applied and I got in. And I remember that, you know, we had to go through and do the visa applications. And so I was actually a week late for school because my visa issues were delayed. So finally, I made it to school and I applied as an architecture major. I was coming in as an architecture major, I was excited to do architecture. And then I got to school a week late. I got in and I remember, you know, the student leaders took me to the architecture department and they said, oh, Mamia, by the way, you need to have these architectural tools. I mean, What was
0: I not thinking? You need tools to do your architectural work. (laughs) Honestly, it never. Doesn't that come with the cost of tuition? Like, what are they doing? (laughs) But they probably assume you probably have your own preferences. Exactly.
1: But they had a bag where they had a toolkit, your arts, like pretty much everything ready to go and was $400. And I looked and I said, oh, I can't can't afford this. And in hindsight, I look back, I could have called my parents to ask for the difference. But then remember that I'm coming from Ghana. The exchange rate is already high as is. My parents had paid. Exactly. My parents had, you know, put together a package rate at least for my first year of undergrad, they've already paid my tuition and you know they gave me, you know, room and board. All that
0: stuff was covered. It feels like it feels like a big ask to add one more Ex- thing
1: on. Exactly. So and then I had $150 to my name. So I said, you know, I looked and I was like, you know, I I'm appreciative of my parents and I'm appreciative of what they've done. I'm not gonna burden them again. I feel like asking them for another two fifty, perhaps they would have, but I don't want to do it. So right away I said, you know, I'm changing my major. <laughs> I didn't call my dad. I didn't call my dad. I just, I'm changing my major. I called my mom. She says, whatever you want to do, I support it. Oh my gosh. What did you change it to? I changed it to chemical engineering. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry.
1: I, went, I know. I went to the, I went with the student leader to the career services and I said, I want to do something that has math in it. A lot of math. And she said, okay, there are are fields you can. Of course, you want to be a math major. I said, no, that's just too much math. I want something that has math, but it doesn't overwhelm me with math. And that you're applying in like a different way. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So then she said computer science. So we looked at computer science and the highest level of math, I believe, was like pre-calculus or calculus. I was like, that's enough. It's not enough math. I want more. And then the, the counselor said, okay, let's go to engineering. And I said, okay, at that time at Hampton, there were only two engineering fields. It was chemical and electrical. So then they said, okay, tell me about the math in either one. Oh, okay, I saw, I heard differential equations. I had advanced calculus. And I was like, oh, yes, this is it. I'm going to be an
0: engineer. <laughs> this is amazing because it's only, I'll, I'll say it this way, it's only you IP folks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> who have these stories? All of the other lawyers on this podcast, and basically who practice anywhere, are just like, and then I didn't want to do math, so I went to law school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, for me, I enjoyed math. And the crazy things, remember, I was late for school a week. So my my roommate, bless her heart, she had literally taken over the space of her side and my side. Because she probably assumed I wasn't she coming. She assumes you're not coming. And exactly. And you've already missed,
0: you've missed everything. a missed session of class everything.
1: or two. I've missed orientation. I've missed Pretty much everything to get me acclimated to whatever has to happen. So she was convinced I wasn't coming, and I I, I show up Friday evening or Friday afternoon. So you know she was. I would say the reception was not. Particularly yeah, cause awesome. she was like,
0: yes, I have yes. a room to myself. Right, and was like, you? who is this? <laughs> And you show up having been like, I really didn't want to do the architecture thing because I had to pay for stuff, but I'm going to do chemical engineering (laughs) instead.
1: And at that time, I hadn't decided whether it was chemical or electrical. I just wanted to do engineering. And then because of, again, remember, I'm coming from Ghana. I'm overwhelmed. You know, I'm homesick. All the shock, jet lag, everything combined. And then my roommate is like, oh, you're here. So then I asked her, what major are you? She said she was engineering. Then my heart sank, like, oh my gosh. And she, I was like, what part of engineering? There's chemical and there's electrical. She said she's electrical. And at that moment, I was like, I've
0: made my decision. I'm going to be a chemical engineer. <laughs> that really could have gone either way. You could have said you're going to do the same as her because she had the notes from that week of class. Exactly, exactly. But just that moment, I was like, no, I'm doing
1: chemical of course, the first year in undergrad, you all take the same classes. It didn't matter whether she was electrical or chemical. But at that moment, I chose to do chem-conj and I stuck with it. And it's been my my major. I mean, talk about
0: a 19-year-old making decisions, and yeah. and Yeah, it was the ins and outs of that are are amazing. And I'm sadly I'm going to speed you up now because we could do a seven hour podcast. Like I have a feeling you'll be a highly requested guest to just come back on to for us just talk about anything. But now give me a summary of I don't even know. Is it the next 10 or 15 years? I'm not even quite
1: sure. So between 10 and 15 years, of course, I had my two kids and then later my third child. After undergrad, I went to get my PhD at Carnegie Mellon. So five years in chemical engineering with a specialty in process systems engineering. And then after PhD, I worked with an oil firm in Naperville, Illinois. And it was amazing, and that's when I had my two kids. So because I'm like, you know, I've been in school for so long, I'm about to pop the babies. <laughs> so I was, my my first two kids were like 20 months apart, <laughs> like boom boom, and then afterwards I realized, oh, I have these two children I have to look after. That's overwhelming. <laughs> that's a lot of work. So then I. I paused for six years until I had my third one. But then, yeah, so again, I have 10 to 12 to 15 years. And within that, there were, there was two, maybe some of them three months, two years that I was stay home because my kids were younger and I had to balance it. So I know when we moved from Chicago, Illinois through Ohio to Wisconsin, when I got to Wisconsin, I didn't want to start work right away. So I stayed home for about two years. And within that, I wrote the PE licensure for engineering. So I did my FE and my PSO, right? I am licensed for the state, in the state of Wisconsin as a professional engineer. So I, I want to check the bucket because I said in the event I do my own private practice, I have that bit in there, right? And then, of course, I started working at Kimberly Clark for five years, and within that time, I had exposure to IP attorneys. Kimberly Clark gave me a lot of rich knowledge, like from designing studies, from understanding IP. I actually got my first design patent at Kimberly Clark. That was awesome. <laughs> It was amazing. And I wanted, again, I wanted more. So after five years, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on to the next level. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm ready because there's so much going on that I feel like just staying at KC wasn't enough.
0: I wanted more. Is this one, the answer is law school? Is that?
1: It wasn't law school at that time. I went to teach That's when I went to teach as an adjunct professor at the technical schools. And I remember I didn't want to, I wanted to teach schools that were not the traditional schools because we're so used to, again, I went through the traditional route, you know, undergrad, grad, in that traditional route. And I was like, I'm very curious about students in the non-traditional schools, like the technical vocational schools, just because I feel like those students' voices are not hurt a lot. So I wanted to go in and perhaps have the first experience with that. I was blown away. These are students that there were actually every student I had in, there was one particular student I had in each class that when I would write my final, I didn't even have to write my solutions. I used his. They were that good. These are students in technical vocational schools. They are the cream and crap. These students also have lives. They have families. They have kids. There was actually one student. I remember when I was grading the exams, right, right about a week before exams, his wife had a baby. So it was, it was like, Doctor Norman, my wife is in the um, hospital. I said, go, go and be with your wife. We'll work the. Um, finals who figured out of course there's always the deadline to submit the grades in so i said no matter what i'll make sure that even if we give you the exam where you submit it in 25 before the deadline i'm gonna make sure we get you in but at this moment you're a dad go in and be a dad i mean these are the dynamics the students bring i was blown away does this start piquing your interest in
0: education yes Okay. Yes.
1: Yes. So teaching for three years within that space, of course, you would think that I'm. I was doing part time teaching, but I was also um, in a leadership role for my high school classmates from Achimota. So every 25 years after graduating from high school, they pick one person to go and be their guest speaker for the speech and prize giving day event, and they pick me. <laughs> I was like oh my gosh, it was awesome. The title of the talk was Second Common Vocational Education, a Catalyst for Next, for the Future. And I, I, I felt myself like this is a good hub where I can pull that in. I would go online to search to find out what are the topics they talk about when you're talking about these things. And it was all about student teachers telling the students, this is what you need to do. this is what you need. And I was like, wait a minute, is there anything that there is for students telling them the of the story, because every time we hear students talk is about, my teacher says this, my teacher, what about what you think? We need to also empower them to tell us what they're thinking and perhaps help and guide them on how we want to educate them because they have to have the passion and we need to meet them in that space. There wasn't anything. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do a research study. Again, my alma mater in Ghana was when I was uh, going to be the guest speaker. So I decided that I was going to do a study try to get the voices of the students yeah, and, and ask combine them. those,
0: that opportunity right. with the exactly. research. Exactly.
1: So I, I, I did a study and usually from a, a survey analysis, if you do a, a research say like that, you look at your population, you want to get about 10% population response to your survey. And, you know, I mean, not respond, the response is about 50%, but 10% of the population size. So if let's say you have a population size of 2000, you want to get about 200 participants that got it, you know, give you a nice feel. And I remember, at that time, the population was maybe 2,300, 2,400, and I got 500 students participate. So I was already hitting that threshold of a sound statistical <laughs> read. I did three questions to the students, just asking them, what do they want to do before high school? Does the curriculum help them? And what do they want to do when they leave? And I told myself that, again, if you have 50% participation, And people respond to the survey. At least there's an engagement. I got 90%.
0: Wow. People really wanted to share. They they
1: were talking about their issues. We're talking about the fact that they feel suffocated by the fact that we're telling them, this is what we want you to do. And they're confused. And plus, by the fact that their parents tell them, do this when you grow up. And they're changing their minds. I'm a good example to say, my dad says I should do architecture. I am nowhere doing architecture. But. The point is the school gives you the curriculum, it gives you the education, it gives you the ability to think through what your likes are and what perhaps you can impact to the community,
0: right? So yeah, so it was, it was just... So you were able to take that, do the research, I'm, yep. I'm assuming present on it at right. the so at this reunion... Yeah, yep. so it was a
1: speech day. Speech day is a big day, like speech and prize giving day. So mine was the 91st speech and prize giving day for Achimoto School. I presented and I got a standing ovation. All the students got up. They were excited because I was telling their story. The parents got up. They were excited. The faculty, because some of the things the students have said, was not in sync with what the faculty would like to hear. But they were like, you know what, you know, it you, have, you have... It sounds like it was right.
0: really moving. Right, it was so moving. Now- And the thing is, I know you're currently sitting at Foley and Lardner, Milwaukee, but part of me is like, how? (laughs) How do we now connect the dots from this wide variety of experiences and interests to you being where you're sitting today?
1: Right. Around that time, I reached out to, it was successful. I got the book done. The book was a bestseller when it was launched. It was great. And then I reached out to my friend. I said, you know, for some of us with engineering and science, background, STEM, how do we incorporate all this stuff in? And she, at that time, she was a Ryzen 3L at a Georgetown. And she says, Mamea, there's a program called intellectual property law, patent law. That area is for people like you who want to protect innovation, wants to be a voice to the voiceless, and still has a science and math background. My understanding of law has always been those who don't want to do science and math going to law. That's what I just said to you.
0: Yeah, but you're like, no, there's an area for me. And by the way, we don't have the time for me to explore but I want to put the just note you said I got my book launched. Like All of that resulted in a book that you said was a best-selling book. That just had to just make that clear so that everybody caught that. But now let's go on. So you discover this area of law because your friends at in law school. Right, right. Yeah, my friend Akosia, she was at that time at 3L at Georgetown,
1: and she says, and I said, Akosia, I have kids. My husband. I mean, it's just life is so busy. I don't even know where to start. My, I, I mean, I don't even know how where. I don't even know. She said, Mamma, I take one day at a time. You want, you want to look at the law space, buy the LSAT box. Look at it. If you think perhaps you want to move forward, maybe read a page or two. So, you know, her feedback was amazing. She didn't say, go and do law. You can. She says, she said, one day at a time. That. Just we look into it. That. Just mm-hmm. see, right, if you want it. So I looked at it. I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then, I, then at that time, I went to my husband. I said, honey... I'm going to
0: apply to law school. He's I'll like, say, I know okay. what kind of interesting means for you now. I get where you're like, oh, I think I really want to do this. I'd actually be really good at it. Let's do it. Right. So then I explained to him
1: like the things, the STEM background and that opportunity, not in niche area. And my husband's like, let's do it. And I said, you know, I will be applying to Wisconsin, but I also be applying to schools close by Wisconsin so that I'm not so far away. And You know, of course, I put in a couple Ivy Leagues, which I knew was impossible just because the distance and logistics was just, I have kids. It's tough. But then my husband's like, let's do it wherever you go. Let's do it. And then I looked at the IU program. And again, for IP, IU has a rich program in IP. They had at the time they had this brochure. They had almost. Maybe two dozen IP offerings. They had a panel or advanced panel law. They have this every like so even right now as I speak. There are three or four courses in IP that I want to take that I have no room in my calendar.
0: <laughs> but I'm trying to figure out how to get to them. Whereas I think it's a good point. Depending on the law school you're in, those offerings could be somewhat limited. Like there might be one or there might be one or two enough for you to get a sense. But there's not going to be. You know, like, like a plethora where you're like, there's so many, I can't even fit all the exactly. courses
1: Exactly. There's, there's an IP transactional cause that I don't even have room, which I am so sad.
0: I want to take it, but there's no room. <laughs> so right. you're in Wisconsin and we, you know, you just, we know where you end up going. Are you commuting? Like, how are you making that?
1: So when I got into law school, I was excited, but I remember we had to make sure that my husband's schedule kind of synced in with mine and initially didn't. So I was, I actually did one commute and I realized that my, I just couldn't, you know, by the time I get home, I was so tired. I didn't really enjoy that rich, time I want to spend with the kids because I was just exhausted so I told my husband I'm not driving the only time I'll drive is when I drive my car home for Christmas or for for the summer but in between it I'm not driving and he was like sure then let's apply for a credit card for pick let's first of all let's find out which airline you'll be taking most of the time so then it was Let's get we some points. To, let's get some miles. Yeah, let's get some miles. So then we realized that Indiana, United was the one that would take us from Appleton to Chicago to Indiana. So we applied for that and we got it. So that's what I've been using. I told myself that whenever um, I'm done with law school and I pass my bar, that's the first I'm going to pay off my... And how would you... So what, what was that schedule like then for you? The first six weeks, I was going home every week. And the schedule is such that your first year of law school, you don't have... Flexibility to pick the classes. They pick it for you. So my classes were on Monday to Friday. So I'll go out like Friday evening and Friday. So I'll go, I'll drive an hour from Bloomington to Indianapolis Airport. I'll catch the plane from Indianapolis to Chicago and then I'll cut from Chicago to Appleton. But remember, it was a Friday, so there were times when I would get stuck in Chicago because the connecting flight to Appleton is gone or has. Um, and the hardest part is
0: that you're connecting. That's the that's like the biggest exactly. insult to me.
1: I mean, there were. I remember there were three times when my husband came to pick me up from Chicago. There was one time when it was snowing, and he, you know that was the fire was canceled, and he came in. And each time, I mean, I, I have all these little bowls, is like little cups that I get from United where, you know, you you sleep over at the airport. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They have
0: toothpaste, toothbrush. You've done that a few times. And then also I'm curious, how old were your kids when you started law school? When I started law school, my
1: youngest, right now he's going to be nine. My youngest was seven and let me see, six or 13. Yeah, 13, 14 and Yeah. So now my oldest is 16. He's almost 17 and he's driving. So that takes a lot of the burden. But yeah, I mean, the first year was tough. So now the second year and I go home every two weeks. So after the first six weeks that I was going, I go home every two weeks and, you know, someone said, oh, you go home. It's nice. But remember, my husband and I are scheduled such that when I go home, he's working. So we told ourselves that no matter what, we're going to make sure that one of us is home on the weekend so if he's working i'm home and if he's home i'm at school studying so but yeah so the second year it was easier i my flight was friday mornings so i'll take the early flight so i'll leave in bloomington about 3 30 in the morning and i'll drive and i'll catch like a six o'clock or 6 30 flight to appleton's and i like that because i know that no matter what
0: you make it to appleton because it's the first flight <laughs> wow but so i mean you're really Words, words aren't going to be enough to summarize, but that's that's complicated. That's hard. There's tremendous commitment from your husband and supporting you to do this and holding it down and all of that. I just think it's worth remarking on I mean, being like, wow. Also, though, somewhat not surprising given the trajectory we've already discussed that, you know, if you're gonna you're going to figure it out. But I have to ask some of the more like typical questions that I ask the guests on the show now that we're actually to the law school part. What was that transition to law school like for you? What did it you think tough. of it academically?
1: It was tough. I remember like the first semester, I didn't finish any of my exams. And the reason was during the exam, first I panicked and I looked at the questions and I said, there is one answer to it. But, you know, in law school, there's nothing like one answer.
0: <laughs> well, that, no, and you're not the first engineer to say this, right. where it's a right. different part of your brain. Yes. It's a different yes. way to think. Yes.
1: Yes, yes. So I'm um, answering the questions, and I'm like, "This is it." You know, I know it's Iraq and all that stuff. I get it, but I didn't. You know, for the most part, I'm looking for the holding. I'm like, "Where's the holding? What is the holding?" Where's the answer?
0: How what- do I find <laughs> the answer to just answer this?
1: Right. So it was tough, and I, my first semester was really tough. I quite remember that. I didn't understand. Like first, I didn't understand where the law was, I would take a case and I'll read it. and I'm like, where is the law? I'm used to engineering and science where you know, this is the formula. This is how you apply it. This is and your now, key. This is the this key is my you're going to use to
0: unlock these various exactly. problems. Exactly.
1: And now I'm looking at the case laws and I'm like, where's the law? It has to be, I was looking for the statement that says the law is, there wasn't... <laughs> You know, so it was it was tough. I remember after the semester, I reached out to my IP um, head of the IP department and I was like, I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. First and foremost, I know I
0: need to think like a lawyer, but I can't think like a lawyer. My brain is not meant to be. Thinking like, You're like, I'm super what? I'm super into this. But what is this? Why is this this way? Exactly. And he was like, just just breathe. It's going to be OK.
1: There's a reason why is the fact that maybe you haven't grasped it right now doesn't mean you don't understand it. You will get it. And when you get it, you would it will straight yeah. up shoot up well, to where we're But it's to. also,
0: I think, so important that you're sharing that because everything you've said, we know there's there's no lack of like intellectual ability. In, like, right. We're t- I'm talking to a Ph.D., and what's the full title of the Ph.D. that you have chemical engineering with a special team process systems engineering? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> There's no lack of right. ability to work hard or process hard things. But I do think it's worth acknowledging how it's a different way of thinking. So yep, you had it, it sounds like you had to reorient. Had to or reset a bit. Yep.
1: And actually what I did was I remember I came home and I told my husband, you know what I'm one of I'm the kind of person where I'm not going to give up because I don't understand. So he's like what what is it going to take and we went online and there was a there was a group called JD Advising and they have programs where they can help you understand like pretty much tutor you in this space. So my second semester, I signed up for JD advising. So I was doing school during the day and in the evenings, I was doing JD advising because the advising group actually told me, they took a case and broke it down for me. They told me when you say, when you see something held, That's the holding. You know, when you're reading your cases or, you know, answering a question, you start with here. That's where your analysis starts. Then you start with the issue. Then you talk about the law. This is where the law is. They broke it down for me. You know, and afterwards
0: I told my husband, I get it now. I but get it now. I, I, had to work it. I had to work it out. I had to work it out a little bit, reorient. No, but it's just, it's really powerful to acknowledge because I think so many people have that experience, but frankly, especially people who come from more of a STEM background. I think uh, on this podcast, Steve Millendorf, who's in our cybersecurity group, he talked about having that experience because he's like, I was used to just, you could do problem sets. You know, you know what the formula is. Here's a bunch of problem sets so you can get good at doing this work, and this is a whole different way of being, and it, it's just—it yes. is. So, it is. so you you figure it out. What do you do? Actually, I'm gonna skip ahead even more because we have a little bit more ground to cover, and not a ton of time. Although we might go over, we're gonna see because I'm not gonna cut you up because you're too interesting. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but you, we have the adjustment. You start to figure out law school. I want to go to where does Foley come on the scene, but I'm hesitant to do that because I feel like I might be missing some other key experiences that are worth sharing. So take me where you want to go next. So
1: now I'm getting it. Like, I feel like, I got it. (laughs) I mean, I I can read the law. I can read it and say, oh, this is what it is. I can tell you where the holding is. You know, I can tell you what the facts, but, you know, I I got it right now. Where does Fully come in? So after my first year, there was an opportunity. The school had a program in where they talked about engineering, not engineering, talked about education law. So remember, I have an education background, but there was nothing... Prior to that, that talked about education law. So now IU Mauer has collaboration with the education department where they offer a minor in education policy where you take uh, some education courses and then you you would have that minor. Everybody everybody's graduating with, with uh, like 88 credits. With a minor, you graduate a 96 credit or 94, 96. So you have some extra courses that you have to take within that. Edu- so then with that, I was exposed to students who were doing you know, different areas of law and education. And there was actually, I think there was one time I was in the hallway and I was talking to one guy and he was talking about how he used to teach middle school, uh, something like that. And we're talking about, oh yeah, you know, as educators, we're looking out for students and things like that. So as he's talking to me and I'm having this engaging talk about education and then his girlfriend comes in and she is like, Oh, yeah, that's my girlfriend. You know, this is her name. And, you know, I introduced myself. I said, yeah, I love education. I'm also doing IP. I love IP. And she's like, oh, IP stuff? Oh, my gosh. My uncle is with some... She didn't really focus on the loss. She's like, my uncle does IP. He's an IP attorney. You know, every time I talk to people about wanting to talk to my uncle, nobody wants to do it because somehow nobody is interested in IP. <laughs> and she says, I don't want to do IP. I don't have none to do IP. If you're interested, I can introduce you to. And I was like, huh? Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so then she introduced me to the uncle. And do you know who the uncle was? Tell me. Jeff Gunderson.
0: It was Jeff Gunderson. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I could have get I could have guessed that. So and I laughed so hard because one, Jeff Gunderson's amazing, but two, he's the head of Foley Lardner's IP department, and it's, it's in other contexts, he's just someone's uncle who's like super into IP. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So um, I was I was like, and she says, of all I know the you- people to meet. Of all the people to meet.
1: Right. And it was interesting because she says the caveat is the most people when I talked about IP stuff is in Wisconsin. Nobody's interested in going to Wisconsin. People want to go outside of Wisconsin. But then I I heard you say "You, you live in Wisconsin. Perhaps you might consider. So that's how I would say that relationship built. And then I went in to do a little bit more research about Foley. And I was like, actually, I like this. And then I also found out that Foley does on a national level interaction with the Boys and Girls Club. So I've been on the Boys and Girls Club as a board of director in Appleton for nine years.
0: I had no idea. I did not know that.
1: Yes, I joined when I was working with Kimberly Clark. I joined in and when I decided to go to law school, you know, I shed off some responsibilities. There was one thing I decided not to shed off, which is the Boys and Girls Club board of director because representation matters. The students see you and you're impacting them, you know, even if you dealing with them directly or not, the fact that they see one, a female up there on that board level, it's
0: like a black female. It's so supportive. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stick with this. Well, and we have a national. So for listeners who may not know, we have a national partnership with the Boys and Girls Club. And so for you, it's so interesting, the, the breadcrumbs or maybe it's just the serendipitous nature of certain things, which you're like, well, that's something I'm already involved in. And then also for for wanting to stay in Wisconsin. And the thing is, we have a tremendous IP presence regardless of where you want to be with attorneys everywhere. But we it's especially have a major presence in Milwaukee because that's where Foley's founding office is, as you well know. And then you add in that we have this full service IP department that is actually a little bit, I think, unique in terms of the breadth of what's offered for a firm of our size. Often you won't get both things together.
1: Right. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's, you know, when I joined over the summer, you know, there's this perception of summer associates, they want you to be in person in the office just because of the training and the organic relationships where you want they want to make sure that they're nurturing you they're putting time in you and stuff like that but then they said there's always that opportunity and room to work remotely depending on it's a case by case basis. So I have leveraged two of those. One was we got a call because I'm on the executive leadership board of the Boys and Girls Club in Appleton. We got a call that Governor Evers was coming to a site in Menasha. So I remember I reached out to my partner mentors and, you know, general counsel mentors and literally uh, HR guys. Are, I'm going to be gone for that morning, but I'm going to be doing the boys. I'm going to be working remotely. So, you know, we have the flexibility of being able to still work remotely and still be impactful. So I, you know, I drive to Appleton and, you know, I was in that morning, we went to the boys and girls club of Manasha. I was in that office studying. And then one of my um, board of directors came up and said, governor Evers is coming. So he came in and, I was standing there, and I remember the CEO of the Boys and Girls Club introduced me to Governor Evis, and he says, this is Dr. Norman. She is one of our board of directors. And, you know, Governor Evis shook my hand and said, Dr. Norman,
0: thank you for your service. I'm telling you, I have not frozen. Oh, I love that. We've had the opportunity to chat prior to today, so I had a sense of you and just how tremendous you are in your background, but I was not aware that you we're so involved with the Boys and Girls Club. And then also, honestly, I cannot imagine someone at Foley being like, oh, no, she couldn't attend that. Right. She has, it to, was... she has to be Their People would be so angry if we, if anyone told you, you couldn't go. Right. I mean, they were so supportive. I, you
1: know, again, I couldn't really broadcast that. I'm going to meet the governor because, you know, for Secret Service and all that stuff. So you got to just within reason. But I saw the secret service detail with a little Claire. <laughs> oh, <laughs> was which is saying, very exciting. You're like, oh this my gosh. Deal.
0: It, was, it, was, okay. it was fabulous. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm the law students listening are like, Alexis, you're killing me. She hasn't even said what it's like to be a summer. And here's the good thing. I'm going to talk to at least four or five summers. So there will be some others who we can get more into certain logistics about on campus interviewing, whatever. But I do have to have you talk about what's your summer experience been like? Right. My
1: summer experience has actually been very interesting. I love it. I mean, I have, I came in, last summer I did patent prosecution and this summer I came in one wanted to do litigation. And I have a breadth of projects that I've done in litigation, which has been great. And in addition to that, I've actually done two projects in education. So not only am I leveraging my IP knowledge and skills in the projects that is being offered. I'm also leveraging the education aspect of what I'm learning in school. So it's so amazing. Oh my gosh, I love the retreat. The retreat was amazing. The the boat ride, shared aquarium. That oh was my really goodness. So that the retreat was awesome. for those who don't know
0: is where we bring all of our summers from across the country together uh, in Chicago for a couple days together to to learn stuff about the firm, to do stuff. And if we can have a nice event here and there in between, we'll do that too.
1: Yes, it was amazing. And then another thing I like like about my summer experience is Juneteenth, I remember the, I would say the head of Foley, right, sent out a notice about the importance of Juneteenth. And that mattered to me. You know, that mattered because not only was he telling us why it's important, he's also acknowledging the fact that Juneteenth matters to the firm. You know, we had a, it was a holiday that day. It was amazing. You know, there was a whole discussion about what is Juneteenth, but the fact that the CEO would send out an email saying, Juneteenth is coming, this is the observation, this is why, that mattered. Again, if I had to give an advice to anyone who was looking for a firm, I would say, if diversity and inclusion is one of your warm and fuzzies, you want to look for a firm or a company that actually makes that part of their process day to day right it's not just a one-off you know do they have a dni group do they have dedicated dni program do they have you know just looking out for the diverse inclusion and making sure it matters not just checking the box it's important again to make sure you're looking into all that because if that is not what you're looking for that's
0: a different story but for me that email from the president was oh, all of that so, it took. Well, it's obviously given my role at Foley as director of diversity inclusion, exactly. people are going to be like, man, Alexis has, has planted mames, like what she should say. But that that means a lot right. to me that that felt it so does. impactful to you and that yes. you're noticing the firm's commitment. And I, I often tell law students, everything you said really matters. But when you look to a law firm and you say what do you think about diversity inclusion or why does it matter to you? I often find that to be students asking, are you going to care about me? Right. That's, that's really what it means. It is, is does, will someone with my experience or background or who looks like me be valued and supported in your organization? And I think it, what I'm hearing isn't seeing that email you felt, really seen, but also there's a variety of ways in which, and partly the fact that, you know, you know, uncle Jeff Gunderson (laughs) has probably, you know, honestly like really impacted your experience as well, but it's just wonderful to see how you've been able to combine your interests and knowledge base and, and feel so supported. That's obviously what we want for everybody, but I feel like for you, it's uniquely the case between the IP and the boys and girls club and so many other things and I'll say one thing we glossed over is I know you spent, you had a 1L summer experience at a different firm. And given that there's like just so much interesting stuff to talk about you, we didn't really spend much time unpacking that. But I did just want to acknowledge it because you you said how one summer and that that actually wasn't with Foley, it was a different firm. But this summer you've been able to grow, like build upon what you learned at that firm and then some.
1: So let me give you a little bit of that. So I got my 1L summer associate opportunity before I started law school. It was wild. I remember that when I I applied and I accepted, I don't even know whether I had accepted IU or not, but perhaps I had. I remember when I accepted, I got an email from the head of IU recruiting for the law space saying that they have a minority scholarship something, opportunity with a law firm. They're looking for somebody who is already committed to doing IP, which again, my mind has not wavered since I started law school as to, oh, do you want to do, I came in during wanting to do IP and that's what I want to do. We add the education piece in there, but again, I wanted to do IP. So they told me there was an opportunity with a, a law firm to do that. And I was like, Okay, I haven't started law school. I don't know okay, even if yes, I'm gonna make it but through. Yes. But
0: yes, well, but it's also really a testament to IUS focus as well as recruiting women attorneys of color, women of color specifically into the to the IP space in large law firms is is it's a challenge because of all the pipeline stuff related to STEM in general. So they're figuring out ways to get on people's radar early. I mean, I'm glad that we snagged you since. And I have to say, I'm so self-conscious right now in the sense of, and I mean this in the the best way. Mom, I mean, I feel like you are both one of my best and worst <laughs> episodes of this show and that I'm so conscious right now of there's so many other little little and big paths of and subject that we could talk about. So we're gonna go a few minutes over because I also do want to get to other one really big thing that we'll hopefully do in the next ten minutes or so. But what's your advice or insight looking back? You know, presumably there's law students listening who are one mad at me because I didn't ask more about law school <laughs> and being a summer. But I do think it's so important that we spent the time walking through a lot of you, a lot of your experience because it makes what we were able, able to cover even more impactful like people have gotten to know you over the last hour so your advice whether it be you know a little bit of full like rah-rah foley or whether it be the things you'd wish you'd you'd known but what what do you what do you want to share that you think can help someone else
1: I always tell my classmates that the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you are good you have good relationship with your peers and you know you'd want to get on their LinkedIn profile. When you're in school, don't wait till you're done and then perhaps looking for an opportunity. Again, that could also be an option. But if you build that relationship right now at school, they will remember you because you had that relationship at school. So that's one. So I always say, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm like, oh, you're, you're my class. Let's join in. on And <laughs> we're great. And then another thing I would say leverage the professors because the professors have been doing this for a very long time. And sometimes when you talk to them about something, they'll be able to tell you who to talk to if they can help or, you know, give you a sense of direction. I remember I, I, when I took my seminar, IP seminar class, it was IP and data analysis something like that, IP and data, and I was going to write a paper on IP and antitrust. I had no idea what that was. I went to my professor, Janice, and said, I want to do IP antitrust. I just don't know what it is. And he says, there's a professor, Professor Kenable, that I want you to talk to. He will mentor you through this process. And he did. By the time I finished, I, I ended up getting an A in the class. By the time I finished, I knew so much about IP antitrust that I didn't even know what to do with that information. But because I asked my professor that I need help. I don't know what to do. You know, so leverage your professors. They will guide you. They will tell you where to go. And if they can't help you, they will give you the direction. So you want to do that. And also you want to talk to the career services folks on campus because they are there to help you. They want to make sure that you find something, whether it's going to public interest or whether you're going to a firm or whether, you know, going solo, they have the resources. You just have to reach out and leverage them in that space. Right. And of course, more, most importantly, I would say your your family support. For me, I can only stand here strong because I have a solid foundation for my husband and my kids, even though they miss me, you know, my 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 seven-year-old at some point, eight-year-old said, mom, just come home. What are you doing? But then when he has a chance to talk about me in school to his classmates, he says, my mom is this, my mom is that, my mom is that, my mom is this. He's so proud. So not only am I inspiring the next generation of students including my kids, we're letting them know that there is a platform, again, for those who have STEM backgrounds to want to pursue law. And again, if they wanted to go into that space, but again, we want to have an imprint, right? So all these different opportunities that you can, you know, leverage your relationships, leverage their professors, leverage your and then be your authentic self. You know, for me, I believe that I am who I am because Maybe over the years, you know, you, you build a little bit of confidence in yourself to the point where you're not swayed by the noise, right? So build that confidence in yourself. Even if you don't know it, tell yourself, I'm willing to try. And that's what I did. I took a, a leap of faith in law. And right now, I'm so glad I did because now, not only will I be able to change the mindset of some students, perhaps protect innovation, inspire the next generation of students. Even within myself, I have a little bit of that, oh, I'm leaving a a footprint in this world. And if that's what it takes, then this
0: is my calling. this is what I'm going to do. So yes, I mean, it's the whole package. All of that is amazing advice and an amazing note to end on. And truly, truly inspiring the impact you've made in your life in general, the impact that I think you're already making at Foley and that you're going to continue to make. I can already see it one day you're going to be back on. If I'm still doing the show, let's hope I am. Let me get, let's get some additional years under you and have you then reflect on your first few years as an associate at Foley. But this has been wonderful. You can trust I'm going to send it directly to Jeff Gunderson is one thing. And then I will say my final question for you is, If people also want to use you as a resource, can they feel free to find you on LinkedIn and connect and reach out if they have questions?
1: Right. They can. They can find me on LinkedIn. And I think to add to that, because I'm also a published author, literally, if you go into Google and type Mamea Norman, you should be able to pull up some of the. You can actually
0: see my book launch (laughs) online. So I'm going to do that next when we get off. But first I will say thank you. Thank you so much. And I will end it by calling you what I probably should have done at the beginning, which is thank you, Dr. Mamea Norman for being on the podcast today. This has been fantastic. Absolutely. It's my pleasure and it's an honor
1: to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley & Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley & Lardner, LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.